Now I want you to posture your hearts. Everybody just kind of buckle your seatbelts. Because I told you a couple of weeks ago that I was going to be preaching a message on tithing. And I told you you were going to like it, whether you like it or not. You know, it's not one of my favorite messages to preach on. I, I don't really enjoy preaching on giving, but um, I did receive a rebuke from Matt Stutzman this morning. I said I received it. I didn't say he gave one. I said I received it. And his words to me were, listen, Don, how do you expect people to take joy in giving if you don't take joy in teaching it? What I'm telling you is this is the quality of men that God is raising up around us. And I really appreciate that. Um, it kind of helps my attitude a little bit about it. But the reason I do that is because I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to manipulate you into giving. It's not my idea because the moment that I keep, quit manipulating you into giving, you're going to quit giving. I don't want to do that. I could say because God gave Jesus Christ. Because, I could say this. I could say because God gave everything. God literally bankrupt heaven to save you. Do, do you agree with that? Because God gave everything, I could say the least you could do is give 10%. I could say that. I could say that because of what God has done inside of our church and the benefits you receive from being part of a family like this, that it should be a no-brainer. I could say that nobody's going to go work out in a gym and take the benefits of all of the gym equipment without paying membership dues. I could say that. But see, this morning's not about all of that. This morning is about the tithe, the whole tithe, and nothing but the tithe, so help me God. So turn with me and your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Today's about the tithe, the whole tithe, and nothing but the tithe. So help me God. So get your notes out. Get your iPads and your cell phones and all your tweeter machines. And let's, um, let's whack a hornet's nest together. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth. Can everybody say 10%? Now y'all going to participate with me this morning. I told you I was going to preach on tithe whether you liked it or not. Abraham apportioned unto him a tenth part of everything. How much? He is first, by translation, of his name, the king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. Who are we talking about here? Melchizedek, right? The Bible says he is without father or mother or genealogy. Which means Melchizedek doesn't have an earthly father or an earthly mother. You can't find the beginning of who he is. Because the Bible says, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling, glory to God, the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. 
See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth. Can you say 10%? Of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take. Can you say take? Tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also the descendants of Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descendants from them, receives a tithe. Can you say 10%? From Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute. Wow. That the inferior, which is blessed by the superior... In the case, ties 10%. Y'all didn't repeat it. Can you say 10%? All right. That the tithes are received by mortal men. That means men who die. But in the other case, so in the case of the law, in the case of the law, the 10% was received by men who die. But in the case of the new covenant, the other case by the one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, can you say 10%? Paid tithes, can you say 10%? Through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestors when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, now, the people received the law through the Levitical priesthood, okay? So, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. How do you know there's been a change in priesthood? I said there's been a change in priesthood. For the one of whom these are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement. He's a priest not because of the law concerning the body descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is written of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness. I mean, even though the law was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. No man is saved by the law. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's the new covenant. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has shown or sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever. This makes Jesus. Can you say Jesus? This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Somebody needs to say better with me. This makes Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant for the former priests were made in number because they were prevented by death 
from continuing in the office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for, for first for his own sins and then for those people since he did this once and for all offering himself. For the law appoints men and the weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now we got to go. Hold your seatbelts and let's go. I'm going to talk to you about the tithe, the whole tithe and nothing but the tithe. So help us God. My wife said, why are you fear to preach on this? Is it the truth? I was like, yeah, it's the truth. That's where this came from. I was just like, okay, i got to change the title of my sermon. I want to talk to you about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I want to talk to you about the tithe, the whole tithe, and nothing but the tithe. Can you say 10%? Now, y'all going to like this sermon when we're done. Many Christians practice the giving of tithing as a part of stewardship of their life. Many people do that. Sure they do. But I want to look at the significance of the New Testament giving to tithing as how it differs from tithing under the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. Now, the book of Hebrews is amazing. It's, it's absolutely one of those things. It sets the, the tithe. It sets the tithe in context that is quite different from the understanding that many have uh, uh, today, even in Bible times and even today. The book of Hebrews sets the tithe totally different. Now, many people tell me, oh, the tithe was a part of the law. Okay. This text, all of chapter 7, the book of Hebrews, all of chapter 7. The book of Hebrews, people say you can't find the tithe in the New Testament. I'm saying you simply didn't read it. Our text describes two distinct systems under which the tithe were given. Can you say two? Okay. So there are two systems to which the tithe was given because most people want to relegate the tithe was only under the law. But the Bible here says there are two systems in which the tithe was given. To understand these two systems, we, we've got, and their impact on us as Christians, it's important that we look at the spiritual context of, of what's going on here. So I want to talk to you about a new order of priesthood because the book of Hebrews is amazing. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6 says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, uh, of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with a loud cry and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. 
where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, how many of you are really just kind of saying, who is this guy, Melchizedek? Who's this guy? I'm glad you asked. We're introduced to this man first in Genesis chapter 14. And the Bible says when we're introduced to him, that him and Abraham meet. And Abraham had just came back from a battle that was humanly impossible for him to win. It should not have happened. And on his way back from the battle, he's got the spoils of war. He's got everything that he owns, and he should not have won this battle. And all of a sudden, he runs into this priest, this king, this priest, king slash priest. He's different than anybody else he's ever met because he never met a king who's also a priest. And he meets this guy, Melchizedek, and to honor God for what just happened, this should not have happened. He's decided that I'm going to give a tenth of everything, not just the spoils, but a tenth of everything to honor God to this priest. So, the giving and receiving of tithes was introduced some 400 years before the Mosaic Law. Therefore, just country boy thinking, tithing transcends the law. So therefore, the law, in its passing away, doesn't do away with it. Tithing's not only in the law. You got your phrase wrong. When people come up to you and say, well, we, we don't have to tithe now because that was part of the law. You got your phrasing law wrong. You should say, no, 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 you misunderstand. Tithing was also in the law. Why do we say that? Because tithing was before the law. So you can't say, well, tithing was in the law. No, tithing was also in the law. It was there before the law. The law picks it up. The law picks it up and says, we're going to take this. So the law not owning tithe, the law not establishing tithe, the law can't do away with it. The passing away of the law doesn't do away with it. And you say, well, what about what Jesus did on the cross? He has now come, become our high priest. Oh, you're starting to get it. Tithing's not only in the law, it's also in the law. This is what we want you to get. It's important to make a distinction in the order to understand that the practice of tithing is also a part of New Testament worship. Apart from the prophecy in um, Psalms 110, where we get a messianic prophecy and the name of Melchizedek is mentioned there. Apart from Genesis chapter 14 and Psalms chapter 110, you don't see the name of Melchizedek until Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews. Well, I shouldn't say Hebrews chapter 7. I should just say Hebrews. You don't see his name again until Hebrews. And so we forget about him. We don't 
press into him. We don't know who he is. We don't understand that. See, the, the Bible isn't really entirely completely clear about who he is, those type of things. Some, some believe, some scholars believe, and I, I had a great conversation with uh, David Campbell over this issue, and he would be one of those scholars. I don't, I don't know if you guys understand that David has a PhD. He doesn't advertise it. But he would be one of those scholars who would say that he literally believes that the Melchizedek of Genesis chapter 14 was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because the Bible tells us he had no earthly father and no earthly mother, that there was no beginning of him and there is no ending of him. The Bible tells us that he is a king slash priest. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Y'all not helping me this morning, right? Who's Jesus Christ? He is our high priest. Amen. There's only one. There's only one who's ever been a king and a priest. And that's Jesus. In the, New, in the Old Testament, we see Jesus Christ literally appear to a man. So good. As a king priest. So foreshadowing who Jesus is. And Abraham meets him and says, 10% of everything I have to honor God is given. All right. It's important to know whether you want to buy into that doctrine or some people go, anyway. Now, brother. See, I personally think that... uh, the whole Bible should be written in red. Because Jesus really said it all. It's important. Here's what I want you to grab out of it to know. That the Melchizedek order of priesthood is very, very, very special. Why? Because it is one that is eternal. It's supremely effective. Jesus is a priest of this order. All right. So now, here's our issue as Christians. Here's what we struggle with. It's not a new struggle. It's a, it's a struggle that's been around since the old covenant was moved was, was fulfilled by Jesus Christ and the new covenant comes in. It's this whole idea that old, old ideas and old practices really die hard. Sure they do. Sure they do. Don't act like they don't. How many of you know you should not eat at McDonald's? Come on, just raise your hand. But how many of you would agree with me? It's so good. Look at Sam. He's got both arms and feet back there. You go and eat at McDonald's. You know you shouldn't eat there. You're right. I'm, you, you eat one hamburger, you've got to run 20 miles. That's the truth, right? Like how many? I started calculating this when I started running, and I started saying, "Okay, great, I got to burn all this. How many calories is this, and how many calories do I burn per mile, and those type of things?" And I, I looked at this Big Mac, and I'm like, 20 miles? No, thank you." <laughs> Not happening. But how many of you know? Every time my car drives by McDonald's, it wants to throw out an anchor. <laughs> Just this one last time. Old habits die hard, don't they? We know how to eat better. Right? David Campbell challenged us as men this week to take care of our physical bodies because God wants to use us to preach the, 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 the gospel forever. He wants to use us to preach the gospel into our late days. And David Campbell said, I want you to understand, he said, I've been doing push-ups. I've been doing push-ups for years now to try and keep my body in shape. And he said, I turned 60 years old. And he said, usually what I've been doing is I, I've been doing 600 push-ups a day. 
great. Now I got to do 700 push-ups a day. He said, but just to poke the devil in the eye. He said, on my 60th birthday, I did 1,200 push-ups. Mike, I don't really like you right now. <laughs> he said, I want to preach the gospel until the day someone preaches my funeral. I don't want to be old and decrepit and not able to preach the gospel. So I'm taking care of my body. And I'm like, okay, here we go, great. See, the book of Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, they addressed primarily this Jewish crowd who had become Christians. And, and, and though they had received the new salvation, I think, with joy, it was hard for them to let go of the idea that the former covenant of the law had given away. It had, it had, it had, been, it had been fulfilled, and it had given way to the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. It was difficult for them. It, it, was, more, it was more than an ideology or an intellectual struggle for them it was incredibly incredibly difficult and and some of them taught that the old testament practice of the law and worship as instituted under moses still had to be adhered to in the church and so the idea of such a a a, a thing like still circumcising gentiles in order for them to be included into the kingdom of god was taught and practiced and because of this it had an effect of their observance of the old testament and, and the Jewish rites as a precondition to becoming a Christian. But we know that the cross never required that. And so the Bible calls these who did this Judaizers. And the Bible condemned it in Galatians chapter 1. I, I'm, for time's sake, you're going to have to read that in a little bit. Paul just basically says, I'm amazed that you're so easily drawn away by the good news that you received to to some other good news, which isn't actually good news at all. It's a burden to you. He said, why did you do that? I'm amazed. He said, I'm amazed. And, and then over again, he said, he said, oh, foolish, who has bewitched you? Who's fooled you? Like somebody poured you a big old glass of Kool-Aid and you drank it. I don't, he said, I don't understand this. It's hard. But it was, what was happening is hard to let go of old beliefs, old ways, and replace them with those that are fresh and new. Tim and I had a great conversation about that. Everybody's sleeping in the van. It's late. We're talking. I said, Tim, just tell me. Tell me what God shares with you about this thought, this idea. And he says, the issue is you really never know how hard it is until you do let go of it and you're on the outside looking back in it. And you're going, why was I holding on to that? Human tendency is to unite the old and the new, not replace the old with the new. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that was our tendency, to unite old and new. That's why he said you can't put a new patch on old clothes. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. You're going to tear the cloth? You're going to burst the wineskin? You can't do this. He said you can't do this. It's going to destroy both. You can't unite the old covenant with the new covenant. It's going to destroy. They'll both be ineffective. Come on, church. It can't happen. Jesus knew that. He said, I know that's your tendency. There are times in our lives, church, where we've got to let go of the past in order to embrace the present. 
It's, it's got to go, when it, especially when it comes to sin. Especially when it comes to sin. We've got to take a step further in that point, and we've literally got to denounce. We've got to renounce the past. No more. The old is gone. The new has come. So it was just as difficult for the Jewish worshipers to leave the practice that they had greatly valued as it is for you and I today. As people, to let go of things that we valued that literally keep us from Christ. Literally keep us from Christ. It's difficult to let those things go. And that's why this book of Hebrews was written. That's why it's written, because Paul knew this was going on. They demonstrate, listen, Galatians, um, uh, 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 Hebrews, listen, they demonstrate that it's both necessary and abundantly worthwhile to embrace Christ and the new covenant that he offers. And so the full effects of these truths are designed to have on us uh, they can be difficult to comprehend when we think about it. They really, they really can be difficult to comprehend. Let, let me just bear with me a few minutes. We've got some food ready for you. It's not easy to accept that nothing is demanded from me for the payment of my sin. Well, can, I, can I say it again? It's not easy for me to accept that nothing is demanded from me for the payment of I got to do something I, I got to do so I got to work for it I got to earn it I got to do all these things I have got to earn it you know why we don't come into the presence of God you know why we don't do that because we don't feel worthy I haven't earned the right to be there look what I did yesterday look at the thoughts that I thought last night Look at, the, look at the shape my family's in. Look what's going on. Look what happened. We got an argument this morning coming to church. I don't really feel like praising God today. Sick of it. I'm not, I don't belong in God's presence. All you guys belong in God's presence, not me. I'm just going to stand here and watch. Y'all have fun. We feel like we, we got to do something. I didn't earn it this week. Right? I'm sick in my body. I got this issue. God must not like me. I got financial troubles. I got marriage troubles. My kids are ain't acting right. They're full of the devil. Lost my job. Something's not right. Something I haven't earned. I haven't been worthy to come in God's presence. I'm not worthy to be there. I am not worthy to be there because I've got to pay a price to be in God's presence. Let me, let me tell you something this morning, church. God never asked you if it was okay to invite you into his presence. He doesn't need your permission. God said, I want you to be in my presence, and I want to be in your presence, and I want it so bad, I'm going to pay the price for you to be there. How dare we say we've got to add something else to what God is doing? You belong in the presence of God. You belong in His presence, not because you paid a price to be there, not because you were perfect, not because you got it all right and everything's good in your life. You belong to be there because God wants you to be there worse than you want to be there. Y'all calm down. I'm preaching on tithing. Sorry, I drank a Red Bull before this sermon. 
gives you wings. It was, it was really good. I feel pretty good this morning. Maybe that's the Holy Ghost. Glory. The main theme of the book of Hebrews is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He, he is before all. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. That means he's preeminent. That means he doesn't have a beginning and an end. It wasn't like God said, oh my goodness, Joe Wells messed up. We've got we to figure this out. I know what I'll do. I'll create a savior. No, you see in Genesis chapter 1 before we meet Melchizedek that God is having a conference with himself. Hey, Father Son, Father Holy Spirit, Father God, let's make man in our image. He didn't ask you permission. He didn't. Knowing fully that we would fall. He didn't hesitate. I said he didn't hesitate. He didn't ask if it was a good idea. He didn't say, let's take a vote. He goes and said, let's make man in our image. You had nothing to do with it. And so how dare you say I'm not worthy to be in his presence when he already decided he wanted you there. I'm, I'm just trying to get it. You say, how does this work? I mean, I thought we were talking about tithing. You see, what I want you to understand, see, this book declares Jesus as supreme in both person and his function as superior in person. He is therefore superior as a priest. And as a superior priest, he is therefore superior in his mediation of the new covenant. Please don't let this go over your head because I'm not trying to be deep and theological. I'm just trying to be simple. This is country boy thinking. It takes real step of faith to believe that we have unhindered access to God to the benefits of the new covenant solely based on the merits of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That takes faith. I know it does. Because we struggle with it every day. Is that enough? Is that enough? It takes faith. Because every day, man, I'm wanting to add the old back to the new. Every day I'm wanting to unite it. Is that enough? Is that enough? Okay. So through his death, Jesus atoned for all our sins, and now we're free. We can freely function in the power of his endless life, all on the basis of his grace. This is magnificent. It's an amazing truth. And, and it's, it's new and different from anything mankind has ever experienced. So Pastor Don, get on with tithing, man. All right, fine. Let's talk about the practice of tithing under, under the new covenant. Talk about it. This is so good. As the following verses are about to demonstrate to you, the word better, can you say better? Is key to understanding the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9. Pay attention, follow with me, jot this down, I'm going to read it to you. 
Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant, Hebrews 7.22. But the ministry, Hebrews 8.6, Jesus has received as a superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. Hebrews 9.22, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. See, the Jews practiced tithing under the law. I'm not going to argue that with you. Sure they did. Chapter 7 points it out in Hebrews. Chapter 7 in Hebrews literally points out, y'all not going to listen to this, y'all, but you got to hear it anyway. The priest from the tribe of Levi collected, can you say collected? The tithes from God, God's people. Like they didn't get up on a Sunday morning or Saturday morning, whenever they got, they didn't get up, they didn't get up and say, all right, we're about to take up the offering. God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all come and give. Be happy about it. Let's all dance to the offering plates. God is good. Or, or let's do that. Father Abraham, have many sons. Let's do that. Let's put our offering in there. We're, they didn't do that. They did not do that. The Bible says they had a commandment from God to collect the tithe. They showed up and said, you owe God 10%. Give it. That's what happened. You owe God 10%. It's not a negotiation. The Levites had a command from God to go and collect it. They had a command from the Lord to go and collect it. People were required by the Mosaic law to tithe not only as a part of worship, but also as a form of taxation. Now you wonder why you hate the IRS. Because the IRS don't stand up on April 15th and say, the USA loves a cheerful giver. Y'all come and give. They don't do that. The tax man says, you owe. And this is the deadline by which you owe it. Mike is grateful for that deadline when it comes because he finally gets to sleep a little bit. You owe it. And see, what we do then is we translate tithing to taxation. And that's why when the preacher preaches on it, you hate it. Because now they're taking something from me. Now they're condemning me. Now they're saying I have to give it. i got to do all these things. I've got to do this stuff. See, the book of Hebrews teaches us that under the new covenant, we do not. Can you say not? We do not tithe as a matter of the law. But instead, we tithe as a matter of worship. We tithe as a matter of worship. Tithing is not about taking something we don't want to give and doing a Christian duty with it. Tithing is about worship. It's about how much we love God. It's about knowing, yes, that God gave 100% and he only asked for 10. It's about loving God enough to say, here, God, you have brought me through impossibilities like I should not even be here.
And this is the way I'm going to honor you. It's all a part of worship. See, here's the deal. I'm going to talk to you in just a little bit. Instead of the tithe, it's a matter of worship, okay? So the book of Hebrews teaches us that under the new covenant, we don't tithe as a matter of the law, but as a matter of worship. This gives us a whole new meaning to tithe. Can you say 10%? All right, now I'm going to lay heavy on you here in just a little bit. It's going to shock, rock you, and make you shout. It's quite possible to pay tithe out of just the fear of breaking God's law and being judged for doing so. Sure it is. Some people do it every week. Because to do so is to understand that the tithe as being only a matter of the law. This is a legalistic and confining, and it's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches the one who receives the tithe today is Christ. You got a whole chapter in your book. Remember it says, it says the priests who were commanded by God to take it, they were men who died. They were mortal men. But the priest that you worship is the priest who lives forever. The New Testament teaches us the one who receives the tithe today is Christ. Who is a new order of priest? A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So when you bring your tithes, let me just clarify here. I didn't say offerings. I said tithe. Because you can't give an offering until you have first paid a tithe. The Bible doesn't say bring your tithe or offering. It says bring your tithe in addition to offering. Until we give a tithe, we're still in the hole. You know, the Old Testament taught that you could borrow from your tithe. It did. That might shock you. You probably never heard a preacher say that. Can I borrow from the tithe? Absolutely, you can borrow from the tithe. But God says, the next time you come and bring your tithe, you not only owe the tithe you know owe now, you owe the tithe you owed then, and the tithe that you borrowed on, you owe 20% interest. It's in the book. God's interest plan is not good. No, it's not Dave Ramsey approved. It sure does. It says you owe two-thirds. That's 20%. I don't suggest it. The New Testament teaches to who receives the Christ. See, it's a new order. See, when you bring your tithes to the church, you are doing something much more than helping the church meet its budget. Y'all didn't say amen, because I'm not real sure you believe it. But I'm going to help you believe it. I'm going to help you believe it. And I hope some people will give me the grace of God. I hope some people will understand that God has deposited them inside of our midst in order to encourage us not to embarrass them. Think about. Think about the people in this church. Now, I don't preach to the church down the road. I preach to this one whose lives would be different if there weren't tithers in this place. Because, see, tithers make this place possible. 
You heard testimonies of marriages. You heard them. They were brave enough to get up. Ramon and Nikki Lugo, stand up. I'm not embarrassed. You stand up. You stood up here. They came to this church, and they said, our marriage is falling apart some years ago. And because there were tithers in this church, this church had the ability to invest in them. They stand healed and delivered and their marriage secure because there were tithers in this church. If there weren't tithers in this church, I don't think they'd still be married. Sit down. Please. Shall I go on? I should. See, I want to make this personal. I said I want to make this personal. Let's take Matt and Elizabeth's marriage. Supernatural. Supernatural. If there weren't tithers in this church, we couldn't have afforded to have David Campbell come here on that particular morning when he slaps Matt Stutzman in the face. Literally stepped up on this, this, David Campbell stepped up on this step right here. I'm standing right behind him and slapped him. He said, that's to get your attention. Because in the next three months, God is about to bring the wife he has prepared for you into your life. And you need to submit yourself to leadership so she has the husband she deserves. Shall I go on? I know y'all want to eat. Come on, church. Can I talk to you about these kids? Look at these kids. They're not in the back row. They push y'all in the back row. <laughs> Glory to God. Look at these kids. Look at these kids. They're up front. They can't fool around because everybody's watching them. They ain't in the back uninterested. They're taking notes every week. You ought to see the notes these kids take from my sermons. And you know why they're doing that? Because there's tithers in this church who provide an atmosphere for people to work with them and invest in them. And they're sowing seeds in them. And every week we have Bible memory kids step up here memorizing thousands upon thousands of scripture. And we're giving them prizes. There are people who stand up and saying, please buy them something and give it to them if they'll memorize scripture. Because it's a foundation in their life. Who knows how that foundation is set for the rest of who they are. Because there's tithers here. This youth group is saying, Pastor Don, please preach on sexual purity because we don't want to get caught in the trap of it. Because there's tithers here, and we don't. We don't honor Tim and Lynette Carpenter enough financially for what they do. We do not. He would probably write, sign the back of the check and put it back in the basket. I know what he'd do. He'd have to threaten his life. This youth group. The depth of their spirituality. Now they've asked me to come in on Sundays and teach them about the person of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit because they want to operate in them. Y'all better watch out. They're going to be prophesying to y'all. Because there's tithers here. There's tithers here. 
I could, I could, I mean, we could just go on a fast and I could preach for the rest of the afternoon using examples. I could, I could. Here's the truth. In our whole congregation, only about 4% tithe. Everybody gives, but only about 4% are actually tithed. I don't know, the, I, don't, I, I stay out of that. Mike gives me the numbers because I asked for them, not the numbers of who individuals are, but he just says only about 4% of our congregation, which is above the national average, which is around 25 or 2.5 or 3%. So uh, we're doing great. There's six percent out there. I'm trying to. I'm trying. What I'm doing to you today is I'm asking you not. I'm asking you not to give under the Old Testament. You know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to come and worship with us. I'm asking you to come and worship with us. I'm asking you to worship with these kids. Worship with these kids. I'm asking you to worship with these marriages. I'm asking you to worship for people who've been healed. I'm asking you to worship with us. God has designed the church to be the manifestation of his kingdom on earth. Christ is the head of that church. When you bring your tithe to the church, you're not merely giving it to the pastor. You're not giving it to the board or denomination, right? We give our tithe. We give it graciously to God because we know that when we do that, we are providing a place of life for people. What better way than to tell a lost and dying world who is self-centered and self-interested so much so that they're living in self-destruction that there are people who love God who are not living for self but are giving self away so that they can experience the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What better way? I told you you are going to like it. Let me, let me just do this. Think about where this church is going. Think about where this church is going. Think about where we are right now. Okay? 2003, Mike Munson, Doug Schwartz, and myself, we went down and we signed our name. And all we had to borrow some, I don't, I don't know, the $650,000 or $800,000. I, I can't remember. It's no big deal. Once you get past half a million, who cares? I don't have it. <laughs> and this, I just don't have it. I mean, you can take everything I have. It ain't getting close. We signed our name. And we built a building. We signed a 20-year mortgage. 20 years. That would make that debt paid off in 2023 or 2024 or something like that, right? As of right now, today, if the giving just remains, let's don't even, we're not even going to include the Easter offerings right now, just if the giving remains the same as it is, which I know it won't after today. The payoff, the payoff of this ministry is August of 2016. This little church. 
Now, if we combine the two Easter offerings that are coming up between now and then, which our Easter offerings has off as averaged over the years that we've been doing it, $35,000 a year. That's been the average. We've given more. There's been less and that kind of thing. Uh, one year, I literally believe that offering is going to be $100,000. Just that offering alone. But if we combine the next two at the average of 35000 that's $70,000. That's going to move our payoff date to December of 2015. I'll jump in as many lakes full of ice as you want me to. <laughs> now, that in mind, for every $7,000 over this amount, cuts off one month of the debt. So, Usually, we've been averaging about $10,000 above giving for our budget. So what that means is if our budget's $300,000, that means we've been averaging about $310,000, okay? I'm just giving you some numbers out there, right? So it, it, we've been averaging about $10,000 above the budgeted for giving, which is great, phenomenal, right? Amazing, and that's how we've invested in things like this back here. You see that back there? Those guys had to have more room. They had to have more room. You know why? Because you're enjoying the podcast. You're enjoying truth casting. You're enjoying all of that stuff. And people say, wow, we lost all these chairs. We lost four chairs to do that. And Phil Stuckey gave his life this week to do that in one week. We are out of room. Do you know how many kids last Sunday were in that back room behind that sound room? Do you know how many kids were back there in that room? Nineteen. Do you know how many that room is full at? Seven. I'm asking you where we're going to put them. Every portable is taken up with kids. Every room is taken up with kids. Where are we going to put them, guys? Where are we going to put them? If I had that other 6% of people tithing, if our church was 100% tithers, this would not be a question. This would not be a question. So now that included $10,000 above giving every year for two years. Now, with that and the $100,000 that we just wrote, Cindy wrote a check a couple weeks ago. I've never seen one before in my life for $100,000. She literally had to call the bank and said, yes, this is going to be a real check. She had to call the mortgage company and say, yes, this is going to be a real check. She wrote a check for $100,000, okay? Now, if we take that $100,000 and we take what we have paid on our building since March of last year till today, okay, we have paid in one year on the debt of our building $177,000. kind of feel like the State of the Union. <laughs> the State of the Union, the State of the Church is in good shape. And it's going to be even better. Give the president some tips here. There's no reason our children workers should be crying at the end of service. There's no reason. Pastor Don, we didn't have any room. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't take care of it. I didn't have any help. Pastor Don, Pastor Don, listen, listen, I love this full service, but some of you guys need to consider coming to first service. Yeah. 
like that. The church is the body of Christ, an institution born of God, not of man. Through the church, we tithe to Christ. What a wonderful act of worship. I'm asking you to worship with us. I'm asking you to worship with us. We don't do membership role here. We do family here. People ask me all the time, how do you become a member of FFM? I said, do you feel like God has called you to, to be joined with our family? Yes, I said, we're family. Let's walk together. Yeah. Man, wasn't that easy? That was easy, wasn't it? Now, in a family, guess what? There are responsibilities. And there are benefits. And I don't know about your family, but in the family I grew up, you didn't get the benefits unless you first fulfilled the responsibilities. And so if you're a non-tither, if you're someone who doesn't give to this church, but you want the benefits of this church, you're a thief. You're stealing from people. We probably might not have anybody here next week, but everybody that'll be here will be 100% tither. <laughs> I'm going to be in Nicaragua anyway, so y'all deal with it. <laughs> I love worshiping with you. I'm not talking about just singing songs. Tithing is a beautiful ordinance born in the grace of God. Come on, Amrene. I don't even know where I'm at on the PowerPoint. Y'all forgive me. I drank, I drank a Red Bull. Combine that with the Holy Ghost and we're all in trouble. Since everything, since everything the New Testament believer does is based on better, a covenant mediated for us by Jesus our Lord, then the act of giving, whether it be of the tithe or the offering, it springs from the well of grace, doesn't it? You know what? My marriage is pretty good. But I'm investing because somebody's might not be. Let me, let me be honest with you. Our church is growing. Can you say amen? And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? My, my ability as one man to deal with that is diminishing. I can't do all the marriage counseling anymore. I've often said if the church kicks me out of the pulpit, I'm going to make a great living. I'm going to be a rich man doing marriage counseling. And I'm never going to have to leave my home. I'm going to be able to work 8 to 5. And I'm going to be done at 5 o'clock every afternoon. Because there's so much of it. We've got to invest. We've got to invest. Rod and Betty have agreed to take some schooling, some class, some learning in order to do that for us. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Here's the deal. Our church has got to realize that Pastor Don, yes, you honor me with that title. But here's the truth of the matter. I'm the lead elder who leads the team, the eldership team here. Grab it. I'm just the, I just lead the team of elders. This, these elders lead the church. They are as capable as I am to minister. 
We've got to break church culture if we're going to accomplish the vision God has given us here. We've got to. I have fought it. I have said no to it over and over again. Yet every time we have a leadership meeting in and we invite a prophet, all of them say the same thing. And so we're sinning if we don't obey it. It's going to take tithing. David Campbell literally came in and rebuked me in front of the whole leadership team a couple years ago and said, Don, you're either going to have to give up on the vision that God has given this church and stay small because that's your vision. Or you're going to have to submit your will to God's will so that he can use this church for his glory and his honor. He literally said in front of this, to our leadership team, Don, you are holding this church back. Oh, this little squirt. He was right. He was right. I'm asking you to worship with me. That's what I'm asking. I'm not asking for your money. You already know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I'm the world's worst at preaching on tithing. You already know what the, world, what the word of God is speaking to you. I'm asking you to say yes to what God is doing with us. I'm asking. So let's be worshipers. Stand with me. I don't want to have to tell this youth group no. I don't. I don't have to tell them no because we don't have any money. I don't want to have to tell a, a, a marriage couple, listen, my schedule is so full and we don't have anybody else to meet with you. I don't, I don't want to tell them that. I don't want to tell the poor out there, yeah, we're here, but we can't help you. I don't, I don't want to tell them that. I'm saying to you, this church, quarterly, yearly, everything you want, anytime you can ask for financial reports, you can trust and you have. Every penny is accounted for. I'm asking you to worship. Right? I'm asking you to worship. I don't, if we're going to plant churches, we're going to have to worship. If we're going to send young men and women out, we're going to have to worship. Right? Kevin and Angela Lawrence, they've said, Pastor Don, we feel like God has called us to be the next missionary sent out. From FFM, so we've taken steps. They're going down in June to interview. They're going down in June to interview. We're going to have to worship. I mean, we're going to have to get our praise on. I don't, well, Krista, I don't know if Krista and Caleb will come back after two years. If they don't, you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship. Either you're going to worship here or you're going to go take their spot and worship. I'm just telling you, we need to get started on this next building because of our children. We, we need to get started. We need to get started. So we got to worship. And your faithfulness over the last, whew, man, it's been so powerful. I know God's going to be even more powerful. So I'm going to issue this challenge to you just like I did last year when I preached a sermon on tithing. 
I haven't had one person come to me and say, oh, Pastor Don, it didn't work. I gave it a whole year. I didn't miss a year. I tithed for a whole year, and God didn't bless me. Not one person has come to me and said that. Last year I said, give me one year and test God. Jesus is the guarantee. He's the guarantor. Give me one year. And at the end of that one year, if you can come to me and say, God hasn't blessed me. I'm poor because of it. Then we'll talk. Your theology is going to be wrong, but we're going to talk. I'm issuing you this challenge. Give me one year. Worship God for one year. Worship God. That's what Abraham did with Melchizedek. He came and worshiped. Worship God for one year, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, God will do miracles not only in this church because of your worship. He will do miracles in your life because of it. And your finances that looks like an impossibility. Remember, Abraham shouldn't have won that battle. I don't have time to read your Bible to you. Abraham should not have won that battle. You, you financially, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, right? You know what I'm saying? That, you know, you, you, listen, see, 100 minus 10 is 90 in my book. David Campbell said it well this week. But not in God. 100 minus 10 is 100-fold. I didn't say 100 times. You've got to understand how much 100-fold is. Each time you fold a fold, you double it. I said you double it. So if you're folding something a hundred times, you don't have a hundred. You got a whole bunch. Your calculator will say E, won't it? Yeah, it will. You got your calculator in your pocket? Look at this guy. That's a money man. And his life in the tithe declares it. Father, we love you. I'm thankful that we can worship. Would you bless us, God, as we be obedient? You promised you would. Matter of fact, you said test us. You said to test you. You asked us to test you. And so we make a year commitment. We test you. Would you save marriages? Would you heal the sick? Would you deliver the captive with our worship? God, would you establish foundations? Lord, would you shake this city because of our worship? I know you'll do it, God. The kingdom of God will be established. And so, Lord, we bless your name for it. We bless your name for it. We thank you for this food that's been prepared. Uh, the, the, the ladies and the, the kids that are serving, God, would you bless them? Bless the hands that prepared it. Bless our fellowship over it. God, just have your way. Lord, as we give to our kids today, God, would you bless them going in and coming out, Lord. Let them know that we love them and we support them. And we're thankful for them. In Jesus' precious name. Everybody said? Amen.